Train Sports Talk Podcast. Your host and conductor of the train, Anthony Smith. That's right. This train is building up ahead of steam each and every day that we are on. So what I want you to do is grab your ticket, get on board, enjoy the ride. This train is going to take you on a journey, turn some corners, and maybe pick up a few passengers along the way. So what do we have on tap for today's episode? Even I don't know that. So the best way to find out is tune in and enjoy the ride of the A-Train Sports Talk podcast with your host and conductor, Anthony Smith. And we're about ready to get this train on the track. So stay tuned. It's the A-Train Sports Talk podcast with your host and conductor, Anthony Smith. You're on board the A-Train Sports Talk podcast with your conductor, Anthony Smith. Enjoy the ride. Welcome to the A-Train Sports Talk podcast. Two days away from Christmas. So make sure you leave a glass of milk out or some eggnog and some chocolate chip cookies or some macadamia cookies, whatever kind of jolly old man like. Trust me, when you wake up in the morning, somebody would have been and ate it up. Anyway, two days removed from Christmas, almost up on Christmas, and we have a loaded show for you today. I'm going all the way to... Albuquerque, New Mexico, if I'm correct. Met this guy in the chat room. Y'all gonna laugh when y'all hear this. It's called Dak versus Romo. Yes, I laugh at that because some of the comments that we read in there, it's not a chat room for people like my guest that has common sense. So all the way from the great state of New Mexico, let's welcome on board the A-Train Sports Talk podcast, Ed Nunez. Ed. Thank you so much, Anthony. I appreciate that introduction, and you're right about that. Uh, I'm a member of a lot of different Dallas Cowboy groups and uh, NBA groups, ABA groups. My wife looks at me sometimes like, why are you spend? I'm retired. You know, I'm retired, and I do some broadcasting in Albuquerque. But uh, I'm a big sports guy, and I've been a big sports guy since I was nine years old. And I think that Dak versus Tony, now I love Tony Romo. I've been a Cowboy yeah. fan since 1970, right? So some of the comments, man, you mentioned common sense-wise. I never said Romo wasn't a great quarterback. Or great, I don't know about great, right? right? But all I'm saying is I've watched the Cowboys win five Super Bowls. It's been a very long time. I'm just hoping they can get past that first round and get into an NFC championship game, and then anything can happen. You never know. Right, and – I listen to a lot of sports talk, and one guy that rubs me wrong sometimes is a guy by the name of Colin Cowherd. I'm pretty sure mm-hmm. you heard that guy, haven't you? Oh, yes. And a lot of times he comes across as anti-Dallas, anti-Dak. But one of the things he said here recently that made a lot of sense, he said, is December football, if I can get my Colin Cowherd voice, is not going to be pretty. It's going to be a lot of dink and dunk, but it's a win. It's not pretty, but it's a win. Appreciate the moment. That kind of sounds like Colin, doesn't it? No, you know what? Uh, well, this morning, again, if you think about it, every show, first take, 
uh, you know, all these shows, right? Who are they talking about? And remember, back in the day, Howard Cosell said this. Howard Cosell said the Cowboys were the most over-propagandized team in the league, and he was right then, and he's right now. But who's, who are they talking about on the, all these shows, right? They're talking right. about the Dallas Cowboys. On every show, is Dak going to get it back together? Is the offense going to do this and that? I agree with you. I'd rather have three road wins, which is hard to get, right? It's hard to win on the road. People yeah. don't understand it's very hard to win in the NFL. But uh, the, the expectations were, right, he's rolling in the first, uh, there's, you know, uh, six-game winning streak. He's spreading the ball all over the field, and all of a sudden, that offense is kind of stalled. And with the receivers that they have with CeeDee Lamb and Amari Cooper and Michael Gallup, uh, Dalton Schultz is a good tight end. He's not a great one. He's not a, a Jason Witten or, or a Jay Novacek by any means. Right, he's not. Right. right. So not a seam buster like that and not a good blocker. And we they, they broke that down, that they're breaking down on the backside of those runs because he can't hold the point of attack. So I think a lot of people expect, I'm sure you do too, Anthony, we expect more from the Cowboy offense, but I will take those W's anytime. Absolutely. And the one thing you have to take into consideration Teron Smith is still dealing with the injury and he's hasn't been playing. So you got his uh, position being occupied, basically, as they say, like running backs by committee. They have an offensive line by committee. Basically, two jobs do the job of one man. And that makes a difference, too. And if you don't believe me, what happened to Kansas City in the Super Bowl last year? Yeah, we're missing their two left tackles. You saw what happened. Absolutely. So. Cowboys got the Redskins coming up, but we're going to talk about more than Dallas and Redskins. We're going to talk NFL, probably COVID issues, which I'm not too well versed in. I just know that COVID is wrecking havoc like tornadoes in Kansas. You know what, uh, Anthony, if you look at the, I think one of the things that teams are going to have to deal with before the playoffs, teams always have to deal with an unexpected injury, right? And they're very right. careful about it. You know, they, they're trying to hold guys out if they're clenched the division. Uh, you know, they try to hold them out and let the, uh, the, uh, the backups play. But one of the things that's going to be it's going to be rear its ugly head is someone in COVID. It's going to happen, right? Because look at all the uh, COVID uh, outbreaks that we've seen. NHL shut down for a couple of games. NBA canceled two games last night. There's been a bunch of uh, COVID outbreaks in uh, all professional sports. And so I think down the line, and I hope not, I really will really hope for the best, right? This Omicron variant is spreading like wildfire, and you know it's going to be an issue somewhere down the playoffs. Someone, some key player is not going to be able to play. And I hope I'm wrong about that. I'm just looking at what's going on right now. Right. Well, if everybody was like Cincinnati, and I don't know if you caught the comments that Joe Burrow made, he said the only reason that Cincinnati is not dealing with COVID issues like a lot of other teams are, he said, because there's not nothing to do in Cincinnati. <laughs> now, if you're a Cincinnati fan, you like your Bengals, but you don't know if you like those comments. But if you look at the grand scheme of things, Joe Burrow might be on to something because they're not being racked with COVID issues like a lot of these other teams are. I mean, go several hundred miles away in Cleveland and they got an outbreak. <laughs> so, he might be on to something. You look at it, Anthony, and this thing is so contagious, right? It's contagious, you know, so you can catch it. I mean, that's tongue-in-cheek. I'm sure he's making those comments, right? Right. Because, believe me, the way this thing is spreading, uh, you, you know, the, you, uh, you know, we, we had massive lockdowns here in New Mexico. They started easing them a little bit. Now they're back to where they were. You know, it's one of the strictest uh, states in the union mm-hmm. for lockdowns is New Mexico. 
you know, it caused a lot of consternation amongst uh, business owners. There's people still mad at the governor about that, right? And some states are very wide open. Texas was wide open. Now, one of my friends that lives in Texas says, all of a sudden, now you go into a restaurant or anywhere now, they're requiring masks again. So um, it's a changing, this thing is changing on the ground. We see it every day. There's been some people here in Albuquerque that, that I know of that were affected very badly by it. Mm-hmm. And then some people that it didn't, that weren't affected as bad. So it's gone both ways, man. And, and uh, you know, it's just as a, an older good person, I want to make sure my, you know, I got to take care of my family, take care of my wife. I just have to make sure we're safe and doing, and again, you could be, and that's the other thing too, Anthony, you could be safe, do all the protocols and I've heard people still catch it. So uh, that's the scary thing, but we still got to live life unless the only way not to catch it is to stay in your house and never come out ever again and never interact with anybody. So, and that's not going to, you know, that's right. not realistic. And that's not going to happen. <laughs> right. That's that's not realistic. Right. So tell us a little bit about your background because you, you said you mentioned something about broadcasting and I love the uh, video that you sent me the other day. You was interviewing one of the Pittsburgh Steelers. What got your start in that field of uh, broadcasting? Well, it's kind of funny. Many years ago, I went to uh, eastern New Mexico here in uh, in Portales, New Mexico, which is far from Albuquerque. I went there to be a radio TV major, and it didn't work out there at, at Eastern. I came back to UNM and finished in, in another field in recreation and got my job with the city of Albuquerque and spent 30 years uh, working for Family Community Services and Senior Affairs and retired two years ago. But I always had that broadcast fetish, right? I still wanted to get involved with it. And I was officiating high school basketball in Albuquerque for 22 years. Then I started doing a show on uh, in, for the uh, Department of Senior Affairs, a TV show in 2016 about the Department of Senior Affairs. Branched off into some sports broadcasting in 2009. One year I couldn't officiate because of my knee. And the uh, bug just caught, man. I was able to host some local radio sports shows in town. I've been on every sports station in town here. I'm the sports director of 99.9 FM in town. And I think, um, so you're going to laugh about this. So I was a color guy for this guy that we were working games at University Arena, the Pit, which is a pretty uh, well-known arena in the in the country, right? The pit. We were working some high school games, and I was this color guy. So one day, one time we were working a game in the third quarter, and out of the blue, he says, now making his play-by-play debut, Ed Nunez. And this was like, I'm like, man, <laughs> I did not expect that, right? I was, I, was, I, was, I was totally taken aback, and he didn't plan that. He didn't say, hey, we're get ready. He just threw me in the deep end. And so it took me a long time to get that play-by-play. You know, I've been doing play-by-play for about 10 years now, and I'm the voice of uh, Western New Mexico Athletics in Silver City, New Mexico, which is about a three-and-a-half, four-hour drive from Albuquerque. We do all their home games, volleyball, football, men and women's basketball. So that keeps me real busy. And then I do high school games. You know, we're at the Connie Mack World Series in uh, Farmington in in, uh, New Mexico in August. We've gotten to do some great, uh, fun things, man. And here I'm the uh, also do some PA uh, for the University of New Mexico. Here, some softball and baseball, done some volleyball. So I'll tell you one thing. I think it's one of those things. Like you, Anthony, you started your podcast. You and I talked about that. Mm-hmm. When it bites you, it bites you hard, and it's bitten me. Yeah. You know, there's not a day that I'm not on the radio here in Albuquerque. I'm on every day because I do my sports minute. Uh, you know, I get to do a sports minute every day. And I think, and, you know, I get to do shows with the uh, department, you know, with uh, ProView Networks. I, I do the sports desk and I got to interview, you, you uh, mentioned Zach Gentry, the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers tight end. I've interviewed Terrence Mathis, the uh, guy who used to play for Atlanta and the New York Jets in Pittsburgh. So I've gotten some great opportunities. And I think it's one of those things, if you're a sports guy like you and I are, it bites you, man. And you just, you can't get enough of it. And that's where I'm at right now, you know, in, in my life. 
Yeah, and, and the way it bit me is I was actually working in radio, but I was behind the scenes, what we call board ops. Right. Push buttons. The guys on the radio, they get all the fanfare. Oh, they sounded so good. I'm the reason they sounded good. I'm like the offensive lineman, okay? No glory. But there was a guy that actually had his own show, and he let me come in and sit in and get on the radio with him. And like you say, COVID hits. I'm like, well, I heard about Anchor, and I'm like, well, let me try that. So started doing it from a phone, eventually got a laptop, and been fortunate enough and blessed to be able to interview local radio personnels. And now I'm going national. Uh, like Vince Quinn, if you ever heard him on CBS Sports Radio, got uh, another guy, JR Sports Brief, coming up next year. And by the grace of God, I got you on. So I'm just having fun doing what I'm doing. I may not ever be a household name, but to be able to interact with people and how I meet people, I mean, it's just great. So, like I say, I am elated and thrilled. Now, you're in New Mexico. So I want to see how far back you go because we might be connected and not even know it until today i'm gonna throw a conference out at you and tell me what do you remember missouri valley conference aggies new mexico state aggies tulsa you know back in the day i, I remember uh you know uh indiana state uh so yes i remember when the aggies uh, new mexico state aggies i'm a lobo you know i graduated lobo that's right <laughs> I, I graduated who played in the WAC, and now they play in the mountain west but back in the day, you know, uh, man, I, I had a hatred for the Aggies. You know, there's a rivalry. There was real rivalries then. They're watered down now, right? They're yes. not as, as intense, I don't think. But uh, I still, I mean, I've got a lot of Aggie friends in in, uh, in in New Mexico, and I joke with them all the time. But, yes, I remember the Missouri Valley. And, of course, Larry Bird and in Indiana State played the Missouri Valley Conference. You know, they went to the national championship losing to uh, Magic Johnson and uh, Indiana, uh, Michigan State in, uh, in 79. So, yeah, I remember the Missouri Valley. So see now now I'm now I'm getting kind of salty in the fun way. You mentioned Tulsa and you can't help but remember Tulsa, Paul Pressey, Nolan Richardson, and the polka dots. But you didn't mention my team, Wichita State, Antoine Carr. Oh man, the shockers. The shockers, man. <laughs> Antoine Carr, you know, An- An- Antoine Carr, I think, is a player a lot of people forget about. Antoine Carr was a really good player. And he's not he, if you meant you know, he played in the NBA as well. Yeah. But Antoine Carr was a, was, you know, somebody that I'm surprised isn't mentioned more on the cause level of his scoring and rebounding. Antoine Carr was a solid pro, not a great pro, but a solid pro. Mm-hmm. Antoine Carr was a tough player. Yeah. Him, he played along with uh, him, Cliff Levingston. And then you can't forget a kid out of Columbia, South Carolina came along and just shattered some record books, becoming the first player ever in NCAA history to lead the nation in scoring and rebounding, Xavier McDaniel. I forgot that they had played together. I mean, if you uh, remember the uh, X Man in in, uh, in the pros and uh, uh, Seattle, uh, New York, man. Uh, you know, man, that uh, the X Man was. Uh, and you know, think about it. He played with Anthony Mason, Patrick Ewing with the Knicks. They were very intimidating. Yes. The X Man had that uh, that look about him. Uh, that was a tough front line. And you know, Cliff Livingston in the pros wasn't again not a great uh, a role player, but a big part of the Chicago Bulls' first uh, three P in the in the early nineties. A big part of that. And a hustle guy, a guy that's going to get you the rebounds, a leader. So what a, what a team the Shockers had, man. Yeah, and I just had to, since I'm using New Mexico, I just had to mention the old Missouri Valley Conference days because then that conference, it wasn't just only known as the Missouri Valley Conference, but it was known as the Valley of Death. Teams did not want to come in and play pretty much nobody from the Valley because they knew it was going to be a ruckus crowd, very rowdy, and you better bring it. I mean, if you think it's tough for a Valley team to schedule top 
flight opponents now. It was even that way back then. I mean, we was fortunate enough to see Tulsa against North Carolina, but that wow. wasn't always the norm. I mean, teams just didn't want to come in and play Valley teams, and the Valley still had that stigma, but the Valley is nowhere near what it was back in those days. Those were some knockdowns. And you can't forget about Drake, Lewis Lloyd. No, Drake had some good teams too. Lewis Lloyd, then Benoit, ben, well, he played for Creighton, David Thirdkill, West Texas State. I mean, the list just goes on. I mean, the Valley is up there in the record books in history. So I just had Lewis to pick Lloyd, your brain uh, on actually, that. Uh, Man, yeah, Lewis, Lewis Lloyd. Lloyd actually uh, played in the Mexico military here too. Lewis Lloyd played a couple of years in Roswell, New Mexico. And, uh, you know, was a, was a tech of a pro with the Rockets. You mentioned David Third Kill, the sheriff. He used to lock you down, right, yeah. in defense. Uh, Benoit Benjamin never turned into the pro that a lot of people thought he would. But he, uh, you know, was drafted. Uh, you know, he was a number one draft pick. So those are some all tough players you mentioned. Yeah, seven foot will get you a draft like that if you play real good in college. But he never could outdo Xavier. Matter of fact, Xavier went on record, do some shade at Ralph Sampson. Because, you know, Xavier was a rebounding machine. And he said, if I was seven foot four, I'd be leading the nation in rebounding and scoring every year. <laughs> so, I Samson was, uh, was uh, you know, Samson was a wonderful, you know, a three-time in Virginia, you know, uh, player of the year in NCAAs, right? Yes. Um, Ralph, Ralph loved to uh, jack up those 15, 20-footers. I mean, he had, you know, they had that one year when they beat the Lakers in the Western Conference Finals and everybody thought they were going to rule the West for years. And then his knees went south and it never happened. You know, of course, Houston winning some championships later with uh, Kim Olajuwon in the uh, in the mid '90s. But uh, Samson's career, because of his knees, never took off the way people thought. But at seven four, he was an incredible talent. But I think uh, the X Man has a point there. I, I used to say that too. It's like if you're that size, I used to get upset on a Laker fan. And, and when Shaq would get, you know, I'm thinking this dude is seven two and, and so strong, he should get 15 to 20 rebounds every game. Mm-hmm. And sometimes he didn't. Sometimes he got uh, he got 15. Sometimes he got five or six. Uh, so, you know, so I think it's heart and desire. Look at Rodman, right? Yes. Uh, Rodman being six, seven, and no, I never saw anybody uh, at that size rebound the way he did. Absolutely. So tell me something. We're going to shift around because we could talk this all day. And I know there's so much more we could talk about. So looking at the NFL, and I think you said you're an expert in that field, the playoffs coming up and things are different now because you're using seedings right now. Who are your top four picks playoff-wise? Well, you know, um, you know, in the uh, in the NFC, you know, I, I, I go uh, by you know by conference, and, and I think it's a wide open in the NFC. You know, Tampa Bay looks pretty good. San Francisco, uh, I mean, I'm sorry, Tampa Bay. I'm sorry, uh, the Rams, Arizona, and Dallas. I think are you know your, some of your top teams in in, uh, in the AFC. And um, I don't think there's a clear favorite there. I really don't. I think that's why I'm excited about Dallas's chances, Green Bay as well. You know, I, I think I mentioned, I hope I mentioned them because they deserve to be in there too. There's not a clear favorite in that conference. I don't really, that's why I'm excited because normally in the past, it's like, well, this team is a dominant team. Each team has had its faults during the season. Uh, you know, they've had some ups and downs. And so I, I'm excited from uh, that stand, uh, you know, that, that point of view in the NFC, um, uh, Tampa Bay just had Godwin out with an ACL. Uh, Mike Evans has got a hamstring. Fournette is out. Uh, Levante David, the linebacker. They're, so these injuries might hurt them. We saw how uh, t- Tom Brady does not react well to pressure up the middle. New Orleans seems to have their their number. For whatever reason, they have their number when they play against them in the regular season. 
So um, I think that conference there is wide open. I really believe that uh, the Cowboys have a good a chance to get past that divisional round. But if you look at the, uh, the Rams lately, Anthony, they've been playing pretty well. Uh, they played very well the other night against Seattle. Uh, uh, Cup is the receiver. They're mentioning him as a, as a most valuable player candidate. So you don't see most uh, wide receivers win a lot of uh, MVP awards, you know. Absolutely. So, uh, and I think in the uh, in the AFC, Cincinnati, uh, New England has played very well. The Chargers have been up and down, and so um, Buffalo, Buffalo, uh, you know, they're maddening. I like I like Allen. I think he's a, you know that's an argument that we have on the uh, uh, Dak versus Tony. Everybody brings up Josh Allen and AB uh, uh, Hebert, uh, all these other quarterbacks. But they had a, a very good defense to go with that offense, and they haven't played the way they have, uh, you know, they, they, we know they can. But uh, New England, right, they, uh, you know what, the thing about Bill Belichick, and I'm not a Patriots fan by any stretch, but that guy, it, to me, is one of the greatest coaches we've ever seen. If you think about it, you know, in the, in the, uh, the, their, their history at the Patriots, what clear-cut, uh, clear Hall of Famers did they have? They had Brady, right? right. He's a Hall of Famer. Who else? They had so many other. I mean, you can't sit there and go down the roster and say that guy, that guy, that guy. You really can't. He's lost players and, and he's got a rookie quarterback. They're playing pretty well. And so, um, you know, everybody's kind of pining for a New England, Tampa Bay Super Bowl. Who knows what's going to happen? But um, I don't think there's a clear cut favorite in the American Conference, American, uh, the AFC either. Cincinnati's played well. They've had some moments, right? Mm-hmm. Burrow, um, uh, they've, they've uh, 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 chased the receiver. Um, they've had some. They've had some moments too, but I, I don't look at either conference and say there's a clear-cut favorite. That team is better than any other team. Kansas City's played better lately. They've won seven in a row. You have to really take them. Uh, have they played with the lights out offensive dynamics that they had in the past? No, but still, <laughs> they played. They're what seven and zero. Indianapolis has played better. But uh, if you're going to say a favor of the American uh, AFC, I would say. The way Kansas City's playing right now, I think you'd have to say they're the favorite because of their their they've been winning what seven in a row. So Absolutely. Indianapolis has played well too, though, and I don't think you can uh, you can discount them. They gave New England a pretty good beating last Saturday night. So I, I think that's the exciting thing to me, Anthony, is everything's kind of uh, is open, and that's what as a Cowboys fan who's waited 26 years for them to be in an NFC Championship, man, I haven't even seen the NFC Championship in that long. Right. So I'm, I'm hoping I'm the eternal optimist. That's why when you argue, have these arguments online about, oh, you only became a fan when Dak was played, it's like, you got to be kidding me, man. I go back to Craig Morton and start back those days. Oh, man. So, the days. yeah, I'm a diehard, a diehard. Roger Starback, Drew Pearson, Billy Joe Dupree. Anthony Smith here with A-Train Sports Talk Podcast, your conductor. Just want to let you know that this podcast is listener supported. That's right, driven by you, the listener, who wants to support. So click on that support button down there. You have three options, 99 cents a month, $4.99 a month, or $9.99 a month. We'll get your ad rent on this podcast. So click the support button. Your support will be greatly appreciated. Once again, Anthony Smith with the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. This is Tracy, host of the Moonstar Podcast, and you are listening to A-Train. Buckle up, baby, and enjoy the ride. Woo! Whoa! 
welcome back to my next segment. It's the A Train Sports Talk podcast. And this train is still building up some steam. We went way out of the state of Kansas, bypassed Oklahoma. I mean, we went far this time. We went way to the state of enchantment, or as some may call it, the state of entrapment. But I'm elated to have my guest on, Ed Nunez. So we're back for another segment, and we're going to shift in to a little bit of NBA talk. Because just like the NFL, just like the NHL, the NBA is having their issues with COVID. COVID is like a bad nightmare that just won't go away. Now, I have my take on that, but that's for a whole different show, a whole different genre of talk show. This is a sports talk show, so I'm going to differentiate sports talk from religion talk. But now that I done said that, y'all know why I said what I said about what COVID really is to me. So, but that being said, we're going to get back into sports talk before we get off the track. So, we're going to talk a little bit NBA. Because the NBA is dealing with COVID, dealing with postponements of games, rescheduling of games. Kind of makes you wonder what is Christmas Day going to look like? Are these games going to really go off without a hitch? Already, Luka Doncic, health and safety protocol. And I like how they're using the word protocol instead of saying, well, he has COVID. They're using the word health and safety protocol. Seems like all leagues have picked up on that mantra so ed what do you think about the nba how they're handling the situation with COVID? how do you think the games are looking i mean it's gotten to the point to where the brooklyn nets said no we're not going to pay for a part-time player well sometimes desperate means calls for desperate measures uh Kyrie, are you interested in playing part-time on the road game so what's your take on that now? You know, it's a lot of uh, a lot to unpack there. And I think you mentioned the COVID issues. I'm a huge Laker fan. I've got the NBA ticket, right? I do a lot of traveling to Silver City when I cover Western New Mexico. So sometimes I miss it, but uh, I'm, a, I'm a huge Laker guy. So they've got seven players in health and safety protocols. As you mentioned, Luka Doncic. It's all, you know, the, the, the league, there are so many guys that are in health and safety protocols the Boston Celtics signed Joe Johnson, who hasn't played in the NBA since 2018. The Los Angeles Lakers signed Isaiah Thomas, not that Isaiah Thomas, the one that played for Boston, right? Right. They signed, they signed him, and I think C.J. Miles hadn't played in the NBA, and he got signed. So that's how many guys they're, – they're, they're, they're saying we're not going to cancel games. We're going to keep playing, right? So, um, you, you know, if you look at the Christmas Day, it's supposed to be Brooklyn against the Lakers, several games on tap, right? Now – you mentioned, uh, you know, and, and, and we'll see how the league handles it. They mentioned, Jeff Van Gundy said this on a broadcast the other uh, night, the league might have to go back to a bubble. When he said that, I came out of my chair like, wow, you know, because when they went to the bubble, no infections, right? Nobody coming in and out, testing, what, three twice a day. And then nobody wants to see that, right? It, it, mm-hmm. But we want to see the players. No, thankfully, nobody that we've heard of, no one has gotten deathly ill or died. Thank God. Nobody wants that. Nobody wants anybody to get this terrible disease. So it's going to be interesting to see how the league, the, the Adam Silver, the NBA commissioner, has said the league won't cancel games. And so they're working very hard to do that. 
Texas A&M, we just heard that in football, pulled out of the Gator Bowl, right? They don't have enough players. So, you know, so if they're going to sign G League players, you know, Isaiah Thomas, again, uh, I watched him the other night. and He's not he's only a shell of what he was at Boston. He's he's not the same player he was. But they're saying we're not canceling games. We're going to keep, uh, you know, uh, keep on going. And and we're not, you know, and and, and that's their that's their uh, stance right now. We'll see if, if this keeps going, how they're, you know, they'll manage that. Back to Kyrie Irving, and it's interesting to me, and I watched, you know, first take, and my take on that and on Kyrie Irving is can you – that guy's a phenomenal player. There's no question about that, right? Yes. He can, he's one of the greatest scoring guards we've seen. But there's there's so many things. Can I trust him? If he's my teammate, the guy takes off last year for a birthday party, doesn't say anything to anybody, I've got a problem with that if that's my teammate. I really do. Um, so I don't know that can, – can you trust him when you need him is what I'm, I'm saying. No one's questioning – the talent. No one is saying he's not great. He is. I'm just saying when we need him, what's he going to do? Can I count on that guy? And, uh, you know, the Nets are a great team. They've got, you know, Durant uh, still playing at a high level, James Harden, Joe Harris, the shooting guard. They've got some pieces, and Kyrie's only going to help them, but he won't be available at home because he won't take the vaccination. That's his right not to do whatever he doesn't want to do. I'm just saying, do you trust that guy if you're the Nets and you're his teammates? My, my answer to that is I don't trust the guy. I don't right. trust him because I don't know if I can count on him when we need you the most, when it's game seven, man, and we need you. Are you going to be there for me? And his past has said to me that that uh, there's a question mark. So Absolutely. we'll have to see how that plays out. Yeah. And as talented as he is, when it comes to players that are head cases, we thought Dennis Rodman was out the box. We thought Meta World Peace was a little bit on the quirky side. But you never question their loyalty. With Kyrie, he's in a class all by himself. And I'm pretty sure as we're talking, I'm pretty sure the earth is still flat. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and uh Listen up. I think Anthony, everybody's entitled to, you know, he doesn't, he's not just, a, we're not constricting him just to being an NBA player. Right. He, he's, he, you know, he has a, several different opinions on social justice, right? He has a lot of different opinions on a lot of different things. That's fine. Mm-hmm. All I'm saying is, is if he's a basketball player and he's on my team last year when he took off of that party without even telling Nets head coach, Steve Nash, I got a problem with that. I do. I've got a problem with that. It's like, let, you know, let someone know where you're at. He doesn't feel obligated to do that. He's a superstar. They're not going to do anything to him. He knows that. But no, isn't your obligation towards your teammates, yes, right, absolutely. in some sense? You know, uh, Kevin Durant went out of his way to make sure he's on the team. He wants him there. But I'm just telling you, man, when it comes down to it, I'm kind of looking at that guy sideways. Like, are you going to be here when I need you? When we need you the most, when we're down to the wire here and we need a win and a big game, are you going to be there? And that's a big question mark to me. And, I, and I've got to say, uh, you know, remember, he, it didn't work out so well for him. In Boston, it did it. It didn't. It didn't work out so well there. Uh, that shot he made against Steph Curry in the finals with Cleveland is one of the greatest NBA shots in the finals we've ever seen. Mm-hmm. I'll never forget it. You know, and so he's definitely got the pedigree. There's no question. I'm not questioning the talent at all. I'm just questioning: Will he be there when when I need you? When they need him? And I, that's my question with him. Right. That 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 is the number one question: Will he be there, or will he be Houdini? Will the real Kyrie Irving please stand up? And I don't think we know who the real Kyrie Irving is outside of his basketball talents. Right. I mean, again, again, he's uh, you know he, he, uh, he has a lot of a lot of different opinions on a lot of different things, and there's nothing wrong with that. 
I read what he says, some of the things in social justice he uh, came up with. I may I may agree with, I may disagree with, but yeah, he's his right to have that First Amendment. You know, right. he's, he's got a, he's got a platform. He's got an NBA platform. Why not? He's got an opinion. He's as, he's as entitled to speak his mind as anybody else. So here, here's a hypothetical, because you know you always hear about the trade rumors. I mean, Ben Simmons is at the headline of the trade rumors, and that that's another issue right there within itself. But you hear it now, there's the possibility maybe. Russell Westbrook gets moved. And I know this is far-fetched, but hypothetically, you think there's a possibility that they could actually reform that three-headed monster that was in Oklahoma City with Russell, James, and Kevin Durant? You, yeah, I, I don't. I, yeah, I, I, I mean, I don't see that happening, but, you know, just the thought of it. <laughs> You know, I, I'm, like I said, I'm a, I'm a, you know, I'm, I'm a Laker fan since '72. '72, man, it's almost 50 years, right? Mm-hmm. So, it took me a long time, Anthony, to get used to all this super team. Everybody's, everybody loves everybody. I remember right. the '80s and the N- NBA when Bird and Magic absolutely wanted to, to beat each other's brains in. You know, I saw Jordan the same thing with the Pistons. Yeah. Uh, I was not a LeBron James fan. I'm really not still. I'm not saying he's not great. I'm just saying I never really thought of him coming to the Lakers. He's there now, right? So I'm just giving you, you know, some 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 caveat around here. Now, when Westbrook came, uh, he's in. I've watched, you know, let me see. They played 32 games. I've probably watched 20, and he's definitely lost the tick of that explosive speed that he had. He's still explosive, but he used to just go by people, and uh, and you know, he's not a great shooter. Sometimes he plays at a higher speed and turns the ball over for a veteran guard. I know he's going to turn it over, but some of those turnovers are very critical to me. So, uh, you know, they, they talked about swapping him for Ben Simmons with the Sixers. And, uh, you know, my thing is Simmons plays defense, but he can't shoot. So I don't know. You know, the Lakers have uh, shooting issues right now. They've got mm-hmm. uh, uh, Taylor Horton Tucker the other night, 0 of 8 from three-point land against Phoenix. And it was awful. It was bad to watch that game, and they were in it. And all of a sudden, man, Phoenix, I'll tell you one thing, though. Phoenix right now, and I'm just telling you the truth, is better than Los Angeles. That's just the way it is. Uh, Payne, Johnson, Paul, uh, DeAndre Ayton, that is a good team and yes. a well-coached team. They're better than the Lakers. And so, yeah. yeah. And the fact of the matter is Phoenix actually plays much more an old-school style of ball with a more traditional lineup, which is something that you don't hardly see because it's not nothing unusual to see a team teams nowadays with a 6'5", 6'6", 6'7", point guard. But Chris Paul is far from that. He's more your traditional size point guard. You still got your your two guard. You got your three, your four, and your five. Kind of like a throwback to the days of old, and it's absolutely working for him. I mean, basketball has evolved even just as much as football. And I was talking to a former Wichita State player today, and he said the thing that drives him crazy is now everybody wants to be Steph Curry. Everybody wants to shoot. 35 feet beyond the arc and everybody can't shoot and if you have a good game plan if you have a good low post presence utilize that otherwise what are they for i mean everybody's not a stretch four everybody's not a stretch five so play the game according to your skill set and i don't know how you feel about this but to me i think analytics there might be some good to it but i think analytics is driving me crazy and almost killing the game 
I think there's a lot to a lot of uh, a lot of sense to that. You know, they talk about that now. They a lot of coaches don't like that long two, right? They want you to step back and make it a three. It's not a good shot anymore. Everybody back in the day, remember, I started watching when Havlicek, Frazier, Robertson, West, they all had mid-range games, right? Everybody had mid-range games. And now if you look at Chris Paul, who's the master of the mid-range game, geez, he's amazing. It's amazing. But that's a lost art now, right? Everybody wants to, you know, drive, kick, drive, kick, drive, kick. You mentioned the inside out. It used to be, you guys look at the, uh, the low post players of the past, Olajuwon, Kareem, Mikhail. You know, there's, there was some uh, um, Al, um, Al Horford. Um, uh, um, Je- uh, God, there's another, that guy, I can't remember his name, but uh, Jefferson, Al Jefferson. Jefferson used to have some beautiful footwork. He used to school people in the post. That was just 10 years ago, right? Now, my son and I argue about it all the time, man. My son's a millennial. He's 30. He's like, oh, dad, nobody wants to see anybody go in there and Jabbar throw up that hook. <laughs> he makes me laugh because he's grown up in a different era, right? Mm. I grew up watching the NBA for almost 50 years. And it's taken me a time. And even in high school here, Anthony, and in college, right? Mm-hmm. Even when I cover Western New Mexico, drive kick, drive kick, drive kick. I mean, there's a post presence, but it's not like, and, and you see, you're, you're kind of an old school guy too, but oh, inside out, inside out, right? Inside out, go to the inside and boom, kick it back out. Uh, Kareem was a master at that. Walton, Olajuwon used to be, got better at it. Oh, even when he surrounded, Yeah, when he surrounded himself with uh with Cassell, with Robert Ory, with some shooters, man, he got to be a really good passer because he wasn't a good passer before then. Mm-hmm. And so things change in games, man. And sometimes they don't change for the best, in my opinion. That's just, you know, the game, of course, uh, basketball is a great game and I love it. But some of the old things that we don't see anymore, the mid range and the inside out, I kind of miss that. Right. So that's why I kind of appreciate a team like Phoenix. And I guess another reason I appreciate them because they have a former shocker on a team by the name of Landry Shaman, who's basically been a journeyman since he entered the league because he would have been a good fit in Philly. And, you know, you, you talk about drive, kick, drive, kick, and, you know, everybody wants to be a shooter. How ironic is it? That's the reason Ben Simmons isn't playing now because he's an offensive liability. But he, he did do part of his job, right? He kicked it to a shooter who just happened to didn't make the shot. And that right there is where I say analytics killed the game because if I'm Ben Simmons, I'm a 6'10-point guard, who's going to stop me from driving to the basket and scoring? I'll take a two-point shot, point blank, over a three-pointer because while the other team is clanking and missing three-pointers, I'm chipping away getting two-pointers, and before you know it, I have a lead. I have a lead on you. That's a whole lot better than analytics. Now, if you want to use analytics, I'll take a two over a three because 90% of the time you're going to make a point blank two point shot over a three point shot. That's where analytics comes in, right? Ben Simmons, you mentioned that great defender, right? Great defender. But what killed him in the playoffs last year was the free throw shooting at the end of the game. That just became a big old narrative and they couldn't get past that. Now, my thing is this though, if you're Ben Simmons, you work on your game. You you don't, you know, in these days you can't even criticize people back in the day. And again, I'm not saying these, these young players don't put in work. They do. They put in the work. But if you remember uh, Kobe, nobody put in work like Kobe, right? The guy's insane. I mean, no one's going to put that work in 24 hours straight to shooting. No one's going to do that. But Bird put in the work. Magic put in the work. Isaiah put in the work. In other words, if they weren't going to be good at something, that, you know, if they shot the way Ben Simmons did at the free throw line, they're going to go home and work, man. They're mm-hmm. going to make it. Magic made himself, I don't know if you remember, he wasn't a great free throw shooter. He made himself into an 89% free throw shooter mm-hmm. by working at it. So that kind of thing there, Simmons, I thought 
He's got a very thin skin. He was criticized. And, some, you know, Doc Rivers came out and kind of criticized him publicly. He never got past that. So he doesn't want anything to do with the Sixers organization. And, uh, you know, it, it, there's going to have to be something, whether it's a trade to the Los Angeles Lakers or another team. He's not going to be part of the Sixers organization. That's obvious. But still, Anthony, if, if you've got talent like that, you've got holes in your game, you have to work. You can't blame right. everybody else. So fact, we don't even have to go back that far. Just look at the NBA Finals last year. One of the knocks on Giannis Antetokounmpo was he couldn't shoot, and he was a liability at the free throw line. Well, in that game that they won the championship, what was his free throw stats? Something like 90% from the free throw line? He's pulling up mid-range game. So he was more than just going in and dunking on you. They said he only had one aspect to his game, to turn around and dunk on you. Well, his game really flourished in that championship game. We seen him at the free throw line knocking down free throws, which was a liability. Well, he looked pretty good last year. So, Ben, one step battle with him was 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 uh, was was taken care of. If he you know ever gets a real consistent jumper, how do you stop that guy? Because you can't really guard him, right? He's hard to guard anyway. Takes one two steps, he's in the lane dunking on you. Uh, if, if he becomes more dependable as a jump shooter, it's really, it's impossible to stop if he gets a low post game. Uh, there's things he still needs to work on for all that fabulous athleticism. There's basketball fundamentals he still needs to work on. But I mean, man, this guy's an incredible player. And what makes him stand out from the rest is I read an article on Giannis and he's not like what is the norm in the NBA. Now you have your buddies linking up, you have your buddies hooking up over the summertime you know, playing their pickup games. Giannis says, I'm not going to do that. He said, because I take my friendship seriously. And if I become friends with one of these guys, what happens if I go in and dunk on him or I block one of his shots? Then, you know, I'm feeling some kind of way. He said, so that's why I come. I refuse to go buddy up with these guys doing something. He said, I work on my game on my own time away from everybody else. That way I'm, more about doing me, so to speak, as opposed to being buddy buddies with everybody. But I thought that was a very interesting take on that because, like you say, rivalries are watered down because everybody's friends nowadays. Think about what he said right back in the day. Now, everybody, you know, uh, LeBron drives me crazy with that, man. He does. And look, he's a Laker. But, uh, you know, everybody's buddy-buddy, right? Everybody's friends now. And, and back in the day, we saw a different NBA. And I understand things. Things change. I get it. It's about the players now and brands, right? They want to make sure their brand is taken care of. I get it. Um, I may not agree with it. Back in the day, it was about winning. They wanted to win, right? And I'm not saying they don't want to win. They do, but it's just different. Everybody's buddy-buddy. And so for Giannis to say that, that's interesting because it seems like everybody's, you know, friends, some on, 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 on you know, Snapchat, Instagram, they see each other. They, they uh, you know, they, 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 uh, they're doing business together. It's, it's, you know, can understand that. They want to, you know, they want to milk as much as money as they can get. I understand that, man. They, they've got a limited time to do that. I have no, no problems with that. The owners are going to do that, right? The right. owners, as soon as they can't play anymore, they'll be cut in a New York minute, man. So when people talk about, we, we you know, we hear that on the uh, Dak versus Tony line, right? Greed, that Dak was greedy. It's like, wait a minute, man. The guy's going to get what he gets. Jones is the biggest greed, greedy, uh, greediest person of all. Jerry Jones, right? The owners are greedy, man. Of course they are. Right. If you're going to say greed about one person, then that the owner is just as greedy. He's the one that signed him to the contract. Nobody put a gun to the guy's head. It's a business. People are going to try to make as much money as they can while they can. All right. So now you are the voice. And I want to 
I want you to get a good plug in for this. Now, tell me who you're the voice for again out there in New Mexico. The voice of uh, Western New Mexico Athletics, Western New Mexico Athletics in uh, Silver City, New Mexico. I'm also the uh, sports director here of 99.9 FM, The Beat, and a broadcaster at ProView Networks for high school games as well here. All right. And the reason I want to put a plug in because uh, once you put a plug in, because those who are listening to my podcast, when they listen to it, I want them to be able to tune in and listen to you as well, you know. Get you out there even more so. You know, I'm I'm in this business, this podcast business, if that's what you want to call it, you know, because I want to have fun with it first, but I also get to meet interesting people, whether it be online, like in chat rooms. And then if you come on my podcast and you're doing something, I want people to be able to hear you as well. So, you know, just basically what well, you just said the word, brand, push your brand. So I hope, no, you, know, I, I hope you gain I, more listenerships out of this. No, I appreciate it. You know, like I said, uh, um, you know, I, I tell people this, I'm 59 years old. I'll, I'll be 60 in April. And, you know, I won't be the voice of Western New Mexico for 20 years. I'm too old for that, but I'm having fun while I'm doing it now. It's just, you know, it's a small conference that plays in, uh, they play in the Lone Star Conference. And it's a tough, Lone Star Conference is tough, man. People, you know, they play some Texas schools and the Lone Star Conference is a very uh, tough conference. So I'm lucky, man. You know, I'm fortunate to have to be the voice of a, uh, even if it's a small college, it's always been my dream. So I'm living my dream, man. And, you know, still trying to improve. I'm the biggest critic of myself of, of, of with every broadcast. I've learned a lot of different things about play-by-play. Uh, my son, is you're going to laugh about this, has been my color commentator here in Albuquerque. He used to coach basketball, and he's my color commentator. You don't see a lot of father-son teams. He's branching out to his own play-by-play. He did his first play-by-play game last week, and he did great. You know, I'm really proud of him. You know, he's an attorney in town, so he doesn't have time okay. to do all that all the time. But but I'll tell you what, you know, he got the bug too, man. And now he's telling me, Dad, I want to do this, this, and this. And he can't do it all because he's, a, you know, he's busy. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, oh, you know, okay, we got you in the rotation, son. So I'm very proud of that. You know, he, he branched, my son branches, branching off too now on his own. Well, that's good to hear, father and son. Like you say, you don't hear that too often. I'm fortunate enough there's a radio show here in town, and it's actually a father and son duo. And if you ever hear them, you'll be like, what? That's father and son? Why is that father treating his son like that? But that's how they carry on. And some people, believe it or not, are actually bothered by it. I'm like, I get on there and I call in. I say, to those of you who have a problem with this, do not try to intervene. Because it's like the old husband and wife. You see them fussing and cussing with each other. And then the minute you jump in and try to separate them, they turn and jump on you. So that's right. That's if y'all have a problem with it, stay out of it. They know what they're doing. And it's good for radio. You better leave that alone. Uh, it's funny because when my son and I are together on the broadcast, we never say dad or son. It's coach. Hey, coach, what do you got? Because, you know, my son used to coach, right? And so that's our, what I refer to him as. And, uh, you know, people know we're father and son, obviously, but I never refer to him as son. I just say, hey, coach, what do you got? Coach, what do you got in the huddle? And uh, he does a phenomenal job. I'm very proud of him. Okay. Well, I want to thank you for taking out during near an hour of your time to talk a little bit of NBA, talk some NFL even talk some COVID issues, even though I'm nowhere near an expert on COVID, but you made me sound good. <laughs> so I want to, no. I want to appreciate you. And we're, we're going to do this again, but what I want to say to you is have a very Merry Christmas. Keep doing what you're doing for as long as you can do it because you said you're 59 going on 60, but you don't sound a day over 35. 
I appreciate that, man. You know, I really do. And I, I, I thank you for having me on your show. I think you're doing a great job and, and uh, reaching out to a lot of different people. And, 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 and you got your own brand. You really do. So, um, again, I appreciate it. And you have a Merry Christmas yourself. All right. Once again, on the A-Train Sports Talk podcast, my good friend, and I'm also calling my brother, Ed Nunez. Thanks for being on the train. Anthony, have a great Christmas. Take care. You too. All the way to New Mexico, the train picked up a passenger. Ed Nunez, great guest. Definitely, we will have him back on again. So I tell you what I'm going to do now. I am going to pause, and when I come back, I will find something else to talk about because half the time I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, I find that kind of amusing too. So, But anyway, it is A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. Your host and conductor of the train, Anthony Smith, and I will be back. So don't you dare go nowhere. Stay in your seats. You're on board the A-Train Sports Talk podcast with your conductor, Anthony Smith. Enjoy the ride. sounds and reaction y'all like him that can mean one thing and one thing only he will be back often as he would like to be back anyway about to get back into some news we're going to look at college football news possibly some NFL as well too As the college football playoff came up with some new policies. Yes, that's right. As a matter of fact, it is said that the champion can win via COVID-related forfeiture. Imagine that. Anyway. Let's 
just dive right into this and see just what is being said because just the thought of that is scary. So let's just get on into this story right now. Football insider Heather Dennett joins us now. Okay, Heather, you know, college football bowl games now being affected by this Omicron variant. So what does it mean for the college football playoff semifinal matchups that kick off really a week from Friday? Well, if one team in a semifinal game is unable to play because of COVID-19, the opponent will advance to the national championship, and that team that's not able to play will have to declare a forfeit. If both of those teams in a semifinal game are unable to play, the game will be declared a no contest, and the winner of the other semifinal will be declared the national champion. And in the rare instance that three of those four semifinalists are unable to play because of COVID-19, the one healthy team remaining will be declared the national champion. Okay, so let's talk about those semifinalist teams, Alabama, Cincinnati, Michigan, uh, Georgia. What are they doing to protect themselves? A lot, um, but they all have different travel plans, and that plays a role in it, too. I spoke with a school spokesman at Michigan who said they are staying on campus, and they're going to travel together as a team to Miami on December 25th. On that evening, Georgia players left today to go home for Christmas. They had their fourth opportunity today for their booster shots. Back to Michigan, they're also doing masking, and they're having their team meetings and their player position meetings in their indoor facility where they have a giant screen. They've got their chairs spaced at least six feet apart. And then Cincinnati will not release the numbers for the booster shots, but I'm told from a spokesman that 99.6% of the Bearcats staff and players are fully vaccinated. They're also going home just like Alabama and both Alabama and Cincinnati plan to travel to Texas on December 26th. But Alabama coach Nick Saban also said earlier this week that over 90 percent of his players and staff are fully vaccinated with the booster shot as well. So who would think that your national championship or your college football national champion could be hoisting up a trophy without even playing a single game? Or your college football national champion could be hoisting up a trophy after playing only one game. The scenarios are out there. So, as it states, college football playoff champion can be crowned via COVID-related forfeit new policy states. A new college football playoff policy written this week in response to the surging Omicron variant allows for a team to advance to the national championship and ultimately win it by its opponents having forfeit according to an updated set of COVID-19 policies the CFP released Wednesday. 
the changes which were made by the CFP's management committee during a video conference Tuesday also provide flexibility for the January 10 national championship game in Indianapolis to be pushed back no later than January the 14th. If one team is able to play in the title game and the other team can't because of COVID-19 and the game can't be rescheduled, the team that can't play will forfeit and its opponent will be declared the national champion. If both teams can't play on the original or rescheduled date, the game will be declared a no contest and the CFP national championship will be vacated for this season. CFP is still expecting for all games to be played with no reduction in attendance. Number one, Alabama will face number four, Cincinnati at 3.30 p.m. Eastern on December 31st in the college football playoff semifinal at the Goodyear Cotton Bowl Classic November 3rd. Number, oh, at the Goodyear Cotton Bowl Classic. Number three, Georgia will face number two, Michigan, at 7.30 p.m. Eastern on December 31st in the CFP semifinal at the Capital One Orange Bowl. If one of the four semifinalists is unable to participate because of COVID-19 outbreak, the unavailable team will forfeit and its opponent will advance to the national championship. As we prepare for the playoffs, it's wise and necessary to put into place additional precautions to protect those who will play and coach the games. CFP Executive Director Bill Hancock said in a statement, these policies will better protect our students and staff while providing clarity in the event worst-case scenarios result. If both teams are unavailable to play in a semifinal game, it would be declared a no contest and the winner of the other semifinal game would be declared the CFP national champions. CFP's announcement came less than 90 minutes after Alabama announced that offensive coordinator Bill O'Brien and offensive line coach Doug Marone had tested positive for COVID-19. According to a statesman from coach Nick Saban and athletic trainer Jeff Allen, both have very mild symptoms and are expected to be able to coach against Cincinnati in the Cotton Bowl. If three semifinal teams are unable to play, the remaining healthy team would win its game by forfeit and be declared the CFP national champion. Cincinnati team spokesman told ESPN on Wednesday that 99.6% of the staff and players who will be traveling to the Cotton Bowl are fully vaccinated, but declined to say how many have received a booster shot. On Monday, Saban told reporters that more than 90% of the Crimson Tides players have been fully vaccinated and received a booster. Both Alabama and Cincinnati players are allowed to go home for the Christmas for Christmas before traveling to Texas on December 26th. Georgia players were allowed to leave Wednesday for the holiday break. But a school spokesman at Michigan said the Wolverines' plan is to stay on campus and travel to Miami together as a team on the evening of December 25th. Michigan offensive lineman Andrew Stuber told reporters Tuesday that the Wolverines plan to get 
their booster shots as a team Wednesday. A school spokesperson for Georgia told ESPN that over 90% of the Bulldogs were fully vaccinated as of the SEC championship game. The CFP also updated its on-site policies as athletic directors at each school have to certify that everyone with access to the field on game day has tested negative for COVID-19 within 72 hours of kickoff or has been fully vaccinated. According to the new policies, each school will use the same testing arrangement it used during the regular season and will arrange for testing at the game site. We certainly wish we were not in this position, Hancock said, but the only responsible thing is to take whatever actions we can reasonably take to better protect those who play and coach the game. The CFP also said new COVID-19 policies for the Fiesta and Peach Bowls, stating that the CFP, the bowl game, and ESPN would try to reschedule the game within one week of the original date. If that doesn't work, the game would be considered a no contest. The Rose Bowl, which is contractually bound to the Big Ten and Pac-12, and the Sugar Bowl, which has contracts with the Big 12 and SEC, operate under separate agreements and don't fall under the new CFP guidelines. A spokesperson for the Rose Bowl game presented by Capital One told ESPN on Wednesday that if Utah and or Ohio State are unable to play where the game is rescheduled will be a decision made by the Rose Bowl Management Committee. A spokesperson for the All-State Sugar Bowl, meanwhile, told ESPN that if it's necessary, the bowl will work with Ole Miss, Baylor, and their representative league to reschedule. So that's one of those wow moments. Imagine all those scenarios mentioned and or even the championship vacated. So somehow that would be part of my poll question tonight. If a champion is crowned by forfeit, will you in the court of public opinion honor that national champion based on the policies that are in place? Something to think about there. Could we be seeing the crying of a champion without having to play a game? Or maybe only even one game? What I want to look at next is I think I'm going to bring us up to speed on some of the bowl games that have been played. Because if you're like me, and I'll say it like this, sometimes my mind changes. 
sometimes I say there's too many bowls. And it seems like they just keep adding more bowls. You know, it's kind of like you go to your favorite buffet and you're satisfied with what they have. You don't go for a while and then when you go back, it looks the same and then you find out they didn't add something else and you wonder why they add this. Nobody's eating this. And then you don't go for a while and you come back and they add something else to the menu. And then you decide to step outside your box, so to speak. And you try this new dish. Then all of a sudden, hey, you know what? I actually kind of like that. Then you wonder what they're going to add next. To me, that's how it is with these bowl games. Sometimes I want to say there's too many bowl games until you actually sit down and watch a game. In that game that you didn't have on your radar, turns out it was probably more entertaining than the more recognizable teams. So what I want to do is look at, I can pull it up some of the games that have been played. As, as we speak right now, and it's at the halftime, one of the most anticipated games if you're in the state of Florida. And according to what some are saying, this game has been highly anticipated for three years. Figure that. Bowl game, three years in the making. Right now at the half, Florida is holding on to a one-point lead over UCF by the score of 10 to 9. So if there is any way possible, we are going to Take you back some games that were played, some highlights possibly. Because pretty much for me, the bowl season kicked off. Let's say it kicked off Saturday on December the 18th. And even that game itself was Entertaining. It was BYU is UAB. BYU is a future Big 12 member going up against UAB. And UAB quietly had a pretty decent season ending their season at 9 and 4. So just how that game turned out as we effort pulling up some highlights here.
and here we go. Hopkins, end zone. Plays over eight minutes off the clock on fourth down and seven. A missile and a strike fired to Trey Shropshire. Blazers back in front. The Radius Technologies independent. So, yes, that was sound from UAB against BYU. Outcome of that game was BYU. Take that back. The outcome of that game was. UAB, 31, BYU, 28. So, yes, there is football played in the state of Alabama by more than just Alabama. As we keep things rolling, there was some more entertaining games. I'm not going to scroll back through all these games, but the ones that had entertainment value to it. How about Coastal Carolina in Northern Illinois? That game has entertaining value. I was on a dinner date with, I may as well put it out, with uh, a young lady I plan on putting a ring on her finger on Christmas Day. Y'all get to hear that right here in this podcast. And we were at, I could say it because I'm I'm not contractually obligated to anybody. So we were at Applebee's enjoying the night out and this Coastal Carolina game against Northern Illinois was on. And it was a very entertaining game. So let me just go ahead and cue that up and let you see how entertaining it was. Lombardi throws out, caught, but to Joyner, I believe, will they mark him out of bounds? If they mark him out of bounds, it stops the clock. Inbounds, inbounds. They will start on the referee's whistle. One second. Now, wait a minute. Coastal Carolina is celebrating. That's it. It's, if he, he didn't catch the football, so... Or did he catch it? They're saying that he didn't catch it, but the clock's still running. There's a lot to go <laughs> sort of digest in that last situation. Yeah, that play right there was very, very controversial because as you look at the play, how it unfolded, it looked like it was an incomplete pass somewhere between incomplete and complete. I guess it was ruled a catch. But my thinking is, according to the rules, if it's an incomplete pass, shouldn't the clock automatically stop anyway? Why did the players have to rush back to the line of scrimmage? There was no clarity on that, none whatsoever. Then you heard the referee say the clock will start at, you know, at my signal. However, it appeared that the clock had already hit zero before the referee signal. 
Controversy at its best. Anyway, the final score in that game was Coastal Carolina 47, Northern Illinois 41. There were some more entertaining games as well, too. Teams that are actually playing in these bowl games with winning records. For instance, how about Middle Tennessee and Toledo? And these aren't games that are like lopsided scores one way or the other. These games are pretty much going down to the wire. Clock moving, 6.36 left. Body out of the fake. Going to take a shot deep. Has a receiver open, and that's going to be a touchdown, Middle Tennessee. Jalen Pierce in for the score. 59 yards. What about Vadiato? What about the Blue Raiders? And they have extended their lead over Toledo. Vadiato. Sometimes when the guy's wide open, this is not the easiest throw. A little out, a little up, tries to grab. And at that point, if you're Vadiato, just give him a little air and let him catch it. Great play. That's right. That was a 59-yard strike on that play. However, there's more to come. I invested in this. As that game was worth the price of admission to those in the state of Ohio and Tennessee. With him, man, you got to know you're going to get quarterback run at some point. And it's right off the bat. DeLauro up the gut. Touchdown, Middle Tennessee. Right on cue, 17 yards. Blue Raiders, a 10.5, 11-point underdog, regain the lead here to start the fourth quarter. Yeah, you knew this was coming in. If you're Toledo, you got to know when number 12 is in the ball game. You get a high percent. I'm watching the replay, and even that had me faked out. So, what was the outcome of that game? Without further ado, Middle Tennessee, an underdog, come away with the victory by the score of 31 to 24. However, the game of interest that I want to really look at happens to be. in the FCS level. If I can pull that up. Celebration Bowl. Jackson State against South Carolina State University.
And trust me on this one. I'm going to give you this story and let you decide for yourself. But what I'm going to do first is, since my time is running, I am going to take a pause right here. And when I come back, the story I'm going to have for you is how the Celebration Bowl final sparks legit debate over who's the HBCU football national champion. So, stay tuned, A Train Football Podcast. I'll be back. Anthony Smith here with A-Train Sports Talk Podcast, your conductor. Just want to let you know that this podcast is listener supported. That's right, driven by you, the listener, who wants to support. So click on that support button down there. You have three options, 99 cents a month, $4.99 a month, or $9.99 a month. We'll get your ad rent on this podcast. So click the support button. Your support will be greatly appreciated. Once again, Anthony Smith with the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. You're on board the A-Train Sports Talk podcast with your conductor, Anthony Smith. Enjoy the ride. Welcome back. Welcome back to the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. Yeah, just having a little bit of fun there. Have to make sure you hit the right buttons at the right time. Otherwise, you sound like not yourself. Yes, just having a little bit of fun. And I normally know this, but I'm giving dates. December the 23rd, two days away from Christmas. And my last segment, I gave you a glimpse of some of the bowl games that have taken place. Wasn't going to run down all of them. I mean, come on now. That would take at least another hour. So you got better things to do than to listen to me rant and ramble all night long. This by far will probably be one of my longest podcasts in quite some time because I'm already pushing about an hour and a half. That's what happens when you have time to finally sit down and do it and look at your content and play around with some things. And one of the things I want to look at, because we're still dealing with the college bowl season, I want to look at how the Celebration Bowl final sparks legit debate over who's the HBCU football national champion. Seem like we've been down this road before. 
at the FBS level. So from its inception in 2015 until 2018, the victor of the Celebration Bowl has been crowned as the undisputed Black College Football National Champion. This is based on the game competitors being the winners of the SWAC and MEAC for that season. The legitimate debate over the king of the HBCU football hill became a talking point in 2019. The argument was between North Carolina A&T and Florida A&M. North Carolina A&T, the MEAC champion, defeated Alcorn State, SWAC champion, 64-44. However, the Aggies' participation was due to FAMU's self-imposed postseason ban resulting from NCAA infractions from previous seasons. Minus this penalty, FAMU would have been the MEAC representative in Atlanta facing the Braves. On Sunday, October 20, 2019, the Rattlers beat the Aggies 34-31 in overtime. FAMU ultimately finished with a MEAC record of 7-1. North Carolina A&T posted a 6-2 mark in the conference. It tied with South Carolina State with identical conference records. But the head-to-head win by the Aggies over the Bulldogs put them in the Celebration Bowl. Now, fast forward to 2021, and FAMU is again linked in an honest debate over the Black College National Championship. Ironically, South Carolina State is also tied with this conversation. This year's Celebration Bowl was deemed the coronation of the Jackson State Tigers. They grabbed headlines all season long, led by Pro Football Hall of Fame head coach Deion Sanders all season long. Tigers took the field at Mercedes-Benz Stadium with a national ranking and overall record of 11-2. Earlier this week, they flipped the script on the recruiting stage by signing defensive back Travis Hunter, the number one prospect in the country. But the confetti descending from the Dome Stadium in Atlanta was decked in South Carolina State's colors on Saturday. The Bulldogs declawed the Tigers 31-10. Evidentiary hearing for FAMU, South Carolina State. So here's the foundation on this debate platform as to the Black College Football National Champion for 2021. On September 5th, Jackson State and FAMU squared off in the Orange Blossom Classic in Miami Gardens. In this defensive tug of war, the Tigers edged the Rattlers 7-6. This combined 13-point total all occurred in the first half. One month later, on October 9, South Carolina State faced FAMU at Bragg Memorial Stadium. This road trip was a difficult trek for the Bulldogs. FAMU nearly pitched a shutout, winning 30-7 against this old MEAC foe. South Carolina State scored in the closing minutes of the fourth quarter. The Rattlers' dark cloud defense held South Carolina State to 143 yards of total offense. Defensive end linebacker Isaiah Land, the eventual SWAC Defensive Player of the Year, set a FAMU single-game record with five sacks. FAMU speedster Bishop Barnett rushed for 118 yards with a touchdown. In comparison, the Bulldogs had 119 yards on the ground as a team. 
The victory by the Rattlers was the second straight of would be a run of eight in a row. Jackson State, FAMU, and South Carolina State excelled as the weeks progressed. Each program's success led to postseason births. FAMU was the only HBCU team in the FCS playoffs. It lost 38-14 to Southeastern Louisiana. So, back to the original question. Who is the Black College Football National Champion? This all depends on who's asking and giving the response. South Carolina State's resume. South Carolina State won the last game of the year, finishing at 7-5. It went 2-2 two two versus the SWAC. In addition to the loss to FAMU, it fell 42-21 to Alabama A&M. The Bulldogs knocked off Bethune-Cookman 42-35. The team went 5-0 in the MEAC. North Carolina Central was the only school with a winning record in conference play. The route of Jackson State in the Celebration Bowl was tremendous for the program. Quarterback Corey Fields threw for four touchdowns. Three of these passes were caught by Shaquan Davis. His triple play in the end zone set a Celebration Bowl record. South Carolina State also forced three turnovers in the game. In terms of individual postseason awards, Buddy Pugh was the MEAC Coach of the Year. The Bulldogs didn't have any players rated as first-team All-MEAC. However, they did feature five on defense. All-MEAC listings include first, second, and third-team selections. Florida A&M's resume. The head-to-head matchup between the Rattlers and Bulldogs is the obvious glaring stat. FAMU dominated South Carolina State in the same fashion Jackson State was abused in the Celebration Bowl. This year, FAMU had high-ranking national stats, especially on defense. It also climbed as high as number 22 in the FCS poll. The Rattlers had five first-team All-SWAC players and nine overall. All-SWAC ratings are first and second-team only. Along with being the SWAC Defensive Player of the Year, Land is one of three finalists for the Buck Buchanan Award. This trophy is given to the top defensive star on the FCS level. FAMU South Carolina State Common Opponents South Carolina State and FAMU split with two of three common opponents. Jackson State edged out FAMU and lost convincingly to the Bulldogs. Both teams played Alabama A&M on the road. FAMU left Huntsville with a smile after rallying from 18 points in the third quarter and winning 35-31. to The same can't be said for the Bulldogs. Each team defeated Bethune-Cookman. FAMU's win was 46-21 in the Florida Classic. South Carolina State built a 42-7 lead going into the fourth quarter against the Wildcats. It held on for a 42-35 finale. Co-national champions in college football. Sharing the glory isn't an oddity in the history of college football. Before the current FBS playoff format, it happened quite a bit. HBCUs are no stranger to having co-champion either. The NCAT and FAMU 2019. However, in 2021, it's a different outlook than in the past. Yes, South Carolina State beat the black college team with the best record in the country, but this was only the seventh win of the year. FAMU recorded 
win number seven. It was November 6th in a 29-17 score over Southern. The Jaguars ended the year at 4-7 and seven and 3-5 and five in the SWAC. That same date, South Carolina State beat Howard 15-12, improving to 5-4. and four. Howard finished at 2-8, and 1-4 in the MEAC. So, for the final verdict, on paper, the more importantly, and more importantly on the field, FAMU is a better team than South Carolina State. The Bulldogs did a masterful job of game planning for Jackson State. They flew under the radar and let the Tigers bask in the hype. Meanwhile, all they did was line up and pound the Tigers into the MARTA train station below Mercedes-Benz Stadium. However, it's hard to ignore FAMU's playoff appearance and being one point shot of playing round two with the Bulldogs in Atlanta. The first outing in Tallahassee wasn't even close. I can understand the Bulldog fans' stance on having the honor of national champions. For me, they have a nice trophy to admire with the hardware from the Celebration Bowl. But the undisputed banner of the top squad in the land goes to FAMU. 2019, it was a similar situation. The team that won the Celebration Bowl was a team we beat in the regular season, Rattlers head coach Willie Simmons said. I know the Celebration Bowl is dubbed as the Black College National Championship, but if you look at the season from week 1 to 13, we were the best team in Black College football. So, let the debate begin. Who knows, you may have two poll questions this evening. And as I say that, there will be two poll questions. That's like a Christmas bonus. Anyway, I'm about to bring this train into station. And I hope you have enjoyed every bit of it. Once again, I enjoyed my guest being on with me. And he will definitely be back. Right. My guest, Ed Nunez. Well, this is the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. Get ready to sign off. Wanted to say to each and every one of you that will be listening to this podcast, sharing this podcast, downloading it, follow me. I want you to have a very blessed, merry Christmas. So, next time, take care of yourself, each other, and stay safe. to another presentation of the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast with your host and conductor, Anthony Smith.